So I want you to give a warm, sweetheart, Chapel Hill welcome to Steve this morning as he comes up. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, everyone. Good morning. It is a uh, privilege to be able to uh, be here today to bring the word. You know, a number of weeks ago, Mark asked me to uh, preach, and uh, that's a, it's a daunting task. Uh, it really is. It's a joy, but it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. And over the few, past few weeks, I've come to really appreciate our pastors and how uh, they so faithfully and so uh, gracefully bring the word to us each week. Uh, they make it look easy. And uh, maybe it is when you're preaching when it's not the day that you turn your clocks forward and lose an hour's sleep. So um, I'm going to battle through one last hour's sleep, if you will. And um, I'm just so glad you're here this morning. So we have been, as you know, in the middle of a short series on stewardship called The Generous Disciple. We have stepped aside from our larger series on the story, and we're focusing on uh, generosity, a generous disciple, and stewardship. Two weeks ago, uh, Mark spoke from Nehemiah 3 about uh, rebuilding the walls and our, our opportunity to partner with God in his work. And last week, Larry spoke from Deuteronomy about first fruits and how our giving, our intentional giving, sets our priorities. Uh, We serve a generous God, and we are created to be generous, uh, not for God's benefit, but for ours. And today, we're going to talk about gratitude and how a generous disciple is grateful and how important it is to have a grateful heart um, as we um, make important decisions that shape our lives. Our text today is going to be in Joshua, and uh, you guys will know Joshua. He followed Moses. He uh, led Israel into the promised land, um, a great military leader. Uh, we know the story of, of Jericho and marching around the walls. Uh, at this point in Joshua, we're going to be in Joshua 24. Uh, Joshua is older. He's coming to his end, and he is addressing the people of Israel, and he is imploring them once and for all to set aside and give up all their idols, past and present, and with him choose to serve the Lord. And in this passage of Joshua 24, 11 through 15, Joshua is giving uh, really an account of God's story and an account of his testimony of how he chose to serve the Lord. So uh, let me read uh, Joshua 24, 11 through 15. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods, of your an- the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, this chance to um, look at this passage. I thank you for your, your generosity, your goodness in our lives. And Lord, I pray you would just help us to um, understand your faithfulness, Lord. Um, be with us this morning. Speak through my words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Joshua and this passage is clearly about making a choice to serve. How many here know who Bob Dylan is? Okay? Okay? That's Bob Dylan. So, Bob Dylan is a musician, uh, famous music, musician. Um, late in his career, in the late 70s, he professed to have accepted Christ. And at that time, he actually entered uh, several months of education in Bible school. He recorded two or three contemporary Christian albums. He stopped playing his secular music. He professed Christ from the stage. And he actually wrote a song in 1979. It won a Grammy that is really about the choice that Joshua is calling us to make. And that song was called Gotta Serve Somebody. So I was going to sing it for you, but I'm not. Uh, Some clap. Was that you, Greg? Yeah, thanks. The truth is, James and I didn't have time to rehearse, so I'd be singing it. But alas, I won't. So, but the lyrics of this song, which is about finding meaning in life through serving God, go, you're going to serve, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So Dylan's Christianity wasn't popular with everybody. It wasn't popular with some fans. It wasn't popular with some of his contemporary artists. In fact, John Lennon uh, mocked him for it. He called it embarrassing. And he wrote a song. Lennon wrote a song in response to Dylan's song. Um, Lennon's song was called Serve Yourself. Okay? And the lyrics of Serve Yourself say, assert, you've got to serve yourself, ain't no one going to do it for you. So these are two very different perspectives about this choice of who you will serve. And these two men had very different opinions about the answer in their lives. But they both understood the question, and they both understood the fact that we do have to choose to serve someone. Either choose to serve someone, serve yourself, or serve the Lord. It's a choice before all of us, all of us today. And when you think about it in regard to discipleship, who you choose to serve really defines your discipleship. And we all have chosen and are choosing to serve someone. There's no uh, straddling the fence. Uh, There's no in between. It's a binary decision. You're either serving God or you're not. And we're going to look at this passage about how Joshua made his choice to serve. So I've been thinking a lot about choices over the past few weeks and the choices I make in my life and how many of those choices are significant and probably many more are small and insignificant. Some of the choices I'm committed to and they're life-defining and I I don't waver. But other choices... I make more out of uh, intellectual agreement, that I know it's the right thing to do. 
Um, so I say I'm going to do it. But when the pressure comes and the wind blows, I, I, I tend to back away and fold. Um, that's not the kind of choice that Joshua is speaking of. But the, we all have, so I've been wrestling with how do I uh, make a choice that I'm committed to versus one that's just intellectual agreement. So I thought I'd share an example of a choice that I routinely make that I am not committed to, but I still know it's the right thing to do. Every night, probably for the past 15 years, I've enjoyed a big bowl of ice cream. Um, and, I, it, and it's every night. I bet in 15 years I've missed 10 nights. Um, if you came to my house tonight and you're all invited, at 8.30, I'm going to have a bowl in my hand and I'm going to be scooping probably three scoops of ice cream and three different flavors and some whipped cream on top. And that's just what I do. But I know that isn't the right thing to do, and ultimately that's probably not the best thing for me. So probably every couple months I tell my wife, Kim, you know, I'm going to stop eating ice cream. Or more realistically, I'll say, I'm going to eat ice cream last, maybe four nights a week or something. But, you know, she kind of says, sure, you know, she's heard this before. And uh, sure enough, um, I eat that ice cream anyway. That is a choice made out of Knowledge of the right thing to do, but lacking a heart conviction. Joshua gives us some clues in this passage about how to make a choice with a, with a, a convicted heart, a heart that's committed to that choice. And I would say that a big part of Joshua's choice is gratitude. A grateful heart was the basis for Joshua's choice. And today we're going to look at how making a choice to serve the Lord is grounded in a grateful heart. If you look up gratitude in the dictionary, you really see two things. You see two parts to the definition. You see uh, t- uh, to show an appreciation for something, and the second part is to return kindness. To show appreciation and to return kindness. And I'm going to use those two pieces of that definition as a framework for a couple principles around uh, gratitude and uh, being a generous disciple. So the first principle I want to focus on is a generous disciple is grateful and gratitude begins with recognizing God's faithfulness. So in our passage, actually in the verses prior to our passage, uh, as Joshua was addressing the people, he was speaking words directly from God. Uh, Joshua 24.2 begins with, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And then Joshua proceeds to give an account of the facts of Israel's history, and specifically how faithful, active, and generous God had been to them over the years. If we just look at two verses in our text, Joshua 24, 11 through 13, I want you to look at all of the um, times the Lord uh, was faithful that Joshua gives an account to. I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and gave him many descendants. I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians. I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I gave you, I gave them into your hands. I gave you the land in which you did not toil and cities you did not build. These are just examples from those two two verses. If you go back the prior eight verses have another 15 examples of how God had just uh, routinely delivered them and provided for them in so many ways. 
Clearly, God is the subject to all these verbs. It's God who was the initiator. God was the provider. And God gets the credit. And Joshua knew that. And Joshua's reminding the people that all they have is from God. And Joshua's choice to serve the Lord is rooted in that knowledge. It's rooted in remembering and recognizing and being grateful for God's generosity. And this is the first step in developing a heart of gratitude. So I tell my kids often that growth begins when your comfort zone ends. And my comfort zone ended about two months ago when Mark asked me to preach this morning. So I've been, speak, I've been thinking a lot about this passage and gratitude and how grateful I am in my life. And what would I say if I was in Joshua's place and I was addressing my people, my family, my friends, my coworkers, my life group? How, what, how would I, what would I tell them of God's generosity in my life? And it's been an interesting exercise and it's something I challenge you all to do as well. What are you grateful for? What are you truly grateful for? And I want to share a few of those things with you this morning. Um, I'm grateful to the Lord that 28 years ago, um, he brought my wife and I together. Um, His generous hand has been um, all over our relationship, and in August, we celebrate 25 years of marriage. That's all about God's faithfulness. Um, Medical... The medical doctors and science said it couldn't happen, but God said it could. And today, Kim and I have uh, two kids. They're both 15 years old, freshmen at the high school. Um, that's God's faithfulness. Uh, in my career, um, fairly recently, a couple of years ago, I had a very difficult choice to make. Uh, the company I was with wanted me to take a, what would be a very significant promotion that would require moving to Colorado, to Denver, um, but I heard God tell me to, to not to go, but to courageously stay. And God graciously provided me an opportunity to serve him and stay in this community. These are some examples of God's faithfulness in my life. You have yours. I have mine. And it would be easy for me to say all those things are about my effort, my decisions, my wisdom, my hard work. But I know that's only about God's generosity. I attribute all of that to God. But the thing I am most grateful for is God's saving grace in my life. So I'd ask you to think about your life. What are you grateful for? When was the last time you really paused to remember and give God the credit for all of his goodness? And who have you told about that? And as you think about your past, do you view it as a result of your own hard work, your good decisions, your effort, or do you see the generous, kind hand of God in all you have, in all you enjoy? If you were Joshua and you were telling your people of God's provision for you, what would that sound like? What would you say? So what I have found is that when we recognize God's faithfulness in our life, we gain perspective. Uh, When we give him the credit and understand his generosity, we gain perspective. Now, the Israelites themselves were not a people of perspective, right? I mean, God led them out of Egypt into the promised land, and in between just an amazing uh, time after time, he faithfully delivered them, yet they routinely would grumble and complain. 
How does that happen? You know, and we do the same thing. Why does that happen? Why do we uh, complain and focus on ourselves and go inward when we, we, we have such a, a generous God providing for us? And I think the trap the Israelites fell into is a trap we fall into often as well, in that we can tend to define God's love for us not by the facts of his generosity and his faithfulness, but instead the trap we fall into is we can define God's love for us by our circumstances and the challenge we're facing in the moment and how we think and how we feel. And when we do that, we've lost our perspective. Being a, that's why being aware and remembering God's generosity is so important. God's love for us is based on the facts, the facts that hopefully you've just remembered. Um, it's unchanging. It's not defined by our circumstances, our comfort, our bank account, or how we feel in a certain moment. You know, all throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us that man should not trust his own understanding, his own thoughts, and his emotions. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things. And in Proverbs 3.5, We are warned not to lean on our own understanding. So throughout Scripture, we see examples of people who had perspective and people who had lost perspective. The Israelites tended to lose perspective. David is an example of someone who had perspective. And I want to share uh, Psalm 13, 1 and 2. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Psalm 13, 1 and 2, uh, David cries out to the Lord, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So David is clearly in a difficult situation. I mean, this is despair. Um, despair that, um, you know, perhaps you know. Perhaps you know right now. Um, it's a tough spot. And David didn't deny that it was a tough spot. He was aware of the challenge. He wasn't pretending it wasn't there. He was honest with his emotions. But two verses later, in verses 5 and 6... We see David's perspective, and we see how he holds tightly onto the truth as he proclaims, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David remembered God's goodness in the face of his challenge. In the message, this, this, this verse is phrased, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I am so full of answered prayer. So that's a perspective of knowing who God was. David chose not to focus on his circumstances. Instead, he was grateful, and he focused on God's faithfulness. He chose to remember. David rejoiced in who God is, and in doing so, he was full of gratitude. And this helped him hold on to his choice to serve the Lord. He was able to stand up to the challenge of the situation and Stay true to his choice to serve the Lord. So choosing to serve the Lord begins with recognizing God's faithfulness in our lives. As the definition says, it's a readiness to show appreciation for something and cultivating a heart of gratitude that is based on the facts of God's love and not on your circumstance. 
So the second principle I want to share with you is the other side of that definition, which is returning, a, returning kindness. A generous disciple's gratitude is reflected in serving and giving. So gratitude is about showing appreciation and remembering, but it's also about taking action and returning a kindness. And our passage, when, you, when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he is taking action. He is making a, a choice to step forward and do something about it. You know, um, in, our, in 24, 15, 14 and 15, the word serve appears six times in those two verses. So clearly, this is not just about choosing, but it's about serving. In Mark 10, 45, we see an example, a true example of what service looks like. And Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for many. So serving and giving are equated. And that is the ultimate example of service. There's no greater picture of serving than Christ's work on the cross. And true service always involves taking action. It always involves giving. Giving willingly and giving sacrificially. And As I raise my kids, I think a lot about that. I think about how Kim and I, how we're serving and how we're giving and what impact that will have on them, uh, both now and 20, 30, 40 years into the future. I think back to my childhood and I see the model of my family in regard to serving and how they gave. And, um, and my wife, Kim, has, has stories of uh, that in her family as well. She, she tells a story of her grandparents who were living in near poverty, yet they, uh, she remembers as a little girl how they would faithfully give of their time and, and resources to the church. And I remember um, growing up getting my first job when I was 12 or 13, a paper route. And my parents showing me and teaching me, you know, how to give and the importance of giving to the church. Those are influences on me. But as Joshua says, we must choose for ourselves. My parents and my grandparents weren't going to choose for me. I had to choose for myself as, as Kim does as well. Kim and I got married shortly after college. Kim was the first of us to find a job. She t- found a job as an elementary school teacher in the North Thurston School District. A couple months later, I found a job in banking. I had this glamorous job in mind when I accepted the offer. And I remember that first day when they led me to my office, kind of way in the back. And uh, there was no windows. And there was a copy machine behind this makeshift rickety table that was my desk. And there was all these uh, shelves with office supplies on them, and it quickly I realized that uh, this glamorous job I had thought I signed up for was maybe not as glamorous, but I knew I was blessed, and, and Kim knew she was blessed, and together we made that commitment and that choice, individually and together, to give to the Lord, and we made the choice to give 10% of our income to the Lord, and we have been blessed, and we have been faithful, and we have been blessed. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows your investments. Um, you know, it's interesting how Kim and I have childhood memories of the choices that our families made. 
in regard to serving and giving, and I know you do as well. Uh, you may have memories of positive model towards that, or maybe not. But the point is, and the thing I'd ask you to think about is, you know, that those memories should be an encouragement as well as a warning. And everyone in here has a chance to uh, model serving and giving that'll be remembered by our kids, our grandkids, years into the future, and help them, it'll help them make a godly choice in their own lives. So, in summary, I want to go back to our text. So, I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So, this passage isn't only about God's kindness to the Israelite, Israelites, of course. It's about his kindness to us. God instituted the principle of stewardship in creation when he gave man the task of exercising dominion over the earth he created. Ever since then, all people have been tasked with managing their God-given resources for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom. And this is a principle that's easy to forget. We like to think about things in terms of my paycheck, my time, my investments, my energy. We think of things as our own and coming from our own efforts. Yet Psalm 24.1 says it clearly. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So everything in which we attach our name and regard as our own ultimately belongs to God. So I hope you believe that God's kindness brought you to this place. Uh, this, is the, this is the key point in cultivating a heart of gratitude. So remember God's faithfulness. Hold on to his per, the, this perspective as you face life's trials. And as generous disciples with grateful hearts, joyfully give back to him. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness in our lives, your generosity to us, your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people of gratitude. Help us to serve you as generous disciples. We just thank you for all your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. One of the interesting things about this series in giving is, is uh, how you folks have interacted with it. And um, we've gotten a lot of questions about how, um, really practical, important questions about, for example, what if, what if I have a fixed income? How do I think about tithing then? Or what if my spouse doesn't believe? What if they don't even care about the church? How do we talk about giving in that sense? And these are good questions. They're important questions. And I hope Pastor Mark's blog this week helped you to kind of tackle and think about those kind of questions. But my encouragement to you is to not jump ahead and, and address the how questions. Because there's really one central kind of important question that we're dealing with here. And that's how does giving affect my heart? How does giving show where my heart is? It's a heart question. And I ask for your forgiveness and for God's forgiveness if in any way anything that we've done in the last couple weeks has obscured or frustrated the work of the Holy Spirit in working in your hearts. Because that's all this is about. Is It's a heart question. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why when we talk about giving... Honestly, that, that tensions can tend to run high. 
Jesus said that a, a healthy tree bears good fruit. And giving is one of the fruits that we can and bear. And so when we talk about giving, sometimes it reflects back on where our heart is. And when we look at our hearts, sometimes when we look in there and through the lens of how we give, what we see can be ugly, it can be scary, it could be frustrating, it could be guilt-inducing, whatever. But sometimes that, that, I think, is a reason why giving can be a hard conversation to have. And because it is a heart matter, that's why in these last couple of weeks we have not said, respond in this way or anything like that. What we have said is, is to pray and process, or in other words, to listen. To listen to what's going on in your heart. To listen to what the Lord might be prompting in you about your giving, about where your heart is in, in response to that. So again, my encouragement is not to, to jump ahead to how am I going to even do this? My encouragement is to stay in the place of saying, what does this say about my heart? What is the Lord asking me to do in terms of where my heart is? So this week, grab, grab the pray and process reflection and look at it. And, and really, you know, stick it in your dashboard, stick it in your mirror, stick it in your refrigerator, and allow it to work on your heart. Allow it to be a, a, a lens through which you listen to what God might be doing in you uh, through this series. And then alongside it, we've given you this card. This card is an opportunity to respond. You can ask the question, what is God doing in my heart? And then what is he asking me to do in response? And so you'll have all week to meditate on that and to reflect on that. And you can fill it out and bring it back with you next week on Palm Sunday. And just as, as um, many years ago, folks threw down their coats before the Lord, we'll give you the opportunity to, to throw this card down in a simple act of response, a simple act of worship to say, yes, Lord, this is how... You are calling me to respond. Everybody in this room is in a different place, financially, spiritually. And so you can use the check boxes on here to, you know, check off. Maybe that's where the way the Lord is asking me to respond. Or you can just write down how God is asking you to respond. But the point is to listen. The point is to listen to what he's talking about in your heart. And to really be in a, in a mode of, of, of openness to the Lord about what he's saying about your heart and how he is asking you to be a generous disciple. Amen.